Shapiro is on the right side of history. Actress Janine Turner stands for our Constitution. And the amazing Kristen Sandu performs. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! And welcome, everybody. We are so very happy to have you with us. Now, here is something you probably didn't expect me to say. I think Joe Biden is getting a bum rap, and I'm here to lend him a hand. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe he doesn't need a hand. I mean, that's what got him into so much trouble, his hands. But I'll lend him a little understanding. Joe Biden has always been a close talker and an affectionate guy known for hugs, pats on the shoulder and back, and kisses on the cheek. He has never been accused of inviting women to come alone to his hotel room or office. And we've all seen photos of Joe Biden hugging on people, both men and women, usually and mostly at public events where a hundred or more cameras are shooting from every angle. Look, let's be honest. If you're a sexual predator, you don't go after people in the most public places on earth where there's more press than there are participants or while standing next to the so-called victim's spouse, parents, or boyfriend. I actually heard on a cable newscast an anchor describe one of his latest accusers as a victim. I would ask, what was she a victim of? Biden apparently touched foreheads with her and then hugged her, as she put it, too long. Now, did she have a stopwatch on it? I don't know. <laughs> hey, look, there are real cases of sexual assault in our society, and they need to be reported and criminally prosecuted. But for women to come forward years after they got the full Biden greeting and then claim that that's disqualifying him from the White House, that's just nuts. Look, this man has been in public office since 1972. Now that might be disqualifying. <laughs> I'll grant that. But even now, he's not being accused of driving around elementary schools in a kidnapper van offering free candy to nine-year-olds. I mean, he's been accused by women, most of whom seem to be supporting another candidate for president in 2020, and accused of being a little touchy-feely. Look, I grew up in the South, where we do tend to hug strangers upon greeting, and we say things like, darling, sugar, and honey, to people who serve us coffee in the diner. And we even kiss folks on the cheek. The cheek on the face, mind you, okay, that cheek. <laughs> Now, maybe it's a cultural thing or a generational thing, but I've met Biden before, and he was a warm and friendly guy, even though we certainly weren't and aren't political pals. But to his credit, he didn't sniff my hair. <laughs> maybe that's because I don't have much more hair than he does, so <laughs> he probably figured it wasn't worth it. Look, I've been to receptions where people got too close especially when they took a bite out of an hors d'oeuvre and spewed the cracker on me, or maybe had the breath of a hippopotamus. And occasionally in a photo line, I've had a lady, usually too old to make it interesting, innocently and accidentally put her hand on my back, but actually, let's just say, way down my back, <laughs> resulting in an awkward moment. Perhaps she enjoyed it, but she was probably oblivious to it. Me? I was more amused than assaulted. I mean, the simple remedy for someone getting into your personal space is just to stiffen up and step back. It works most of the time. And if it doesn't, a slap across the face will usually fix it. But make sure it leaves a nice, visible handprint. As they say in the Bronx, what you gonna do, huh? Look, I'd never vote for Biden, but it has not one thing to do with his public displays of affection. It's his once pro-life position turning radically pro-abortion. It's his views on higher taxes, more government, uh, his views on uh, biblical marriage, foreign policy. But it seems a bit disingenuous for people to paint him as some kind of guy who ought to be on the sex registry just because he's a bit on the friendly side. Hey, nobody knows this better than me. Politics 
is crazy enough without candidates being attacked for doing what is natural to them in a personal greeting. So here's my message. If you're a Democrat and you don't want Biden to be your nominee, I'm sure you can find, find plenty of reasons to choose someone else. But find something better than criminalizing him for being as affectionate as a Labrador retriever. My first guest is one of the most sought-after conservative commentators on the scene today. He's a radio host, editor-in-chief of The Daily Wire, and also a best-selling author. His new book is called The Right Side of History, How Reason and Moral Purpose Made the West Great. Please welcome back Ben Shapiro. Ben, good to have you back, and I'm going to get right to the heart of the book. You call this The Right Side of History, so let's talk about what is the right side of history. The answer that I give is that Western civilization is predicated on a unique balance between Judeo-Christian values and Greek teleology, that it's the use of reason balanced with Judeo-Christian revelation that has created the West. And if you lose either one of those, if you lose Judeo-Christian values and you try to rely only on reason, you tend to recede into a, a secular form of, re, of rational, rationality that, that can degrade into some of the worst offenses we've ever seen against human beings, as in the 20th century. And if you get rid of reason in favor of just Judeo-Christian teaching, then you can very often end up in a theocratic place. You have to balance the two, and that's what the Western civilized world and the Christian world in particular has done a pretty good job historically of doing. You know, Ben, you probably spend more time on college campuses than a lot of the students whose parents are paying tuition. So I'd love to get your perspective on how many students, percentage-wise, uh, believe in what you just said and would, would find themselves saying, yeah, that's, that's what I believe. A lot of students have been taught a certain level of ingratitude that they look at the American system and they see a place that is rife with, with terrible problems. Instead of looking at America saying, this place is pretty amazing and yeah, we have our problems, but the story of America is taking fundamentally good, true principles and then applying them more broadly to everyone. We've struggled to do that at times, but we've been moving toward that goal as opposed to America was founded on terrible principles and we have to tear out those principles by the root to build something better. If you were talking to parents of uh, a soon-to-be college student, would you encourage them to go to one of the Ivy League schools? I don't encourage parents not to send their kids to these sorts of schools, but you got to go in with your eyes open. I mean, I went to UCLA and Harvard Law, and I went in with a particular set of values. I used the, the educational opportunity as a way of basically bringing up my ideas against other ideas and making my own ideas stronger. If you can do that, if you can, if you can debate the ideas and discuss the ideas and really engage, then I don't think there's anything wrong with going to a school where most people disagree, including the administrators or professors. But if you believe that your kid isn't really well versed in this sort of stuff or doesn't have an interest in this sort of stuff, then you are putting your kid, or if you are a teenager, you're putting yourself in the hands of people who don't agree with fundamental premises that, that support Western civilization. Ben, it appears to me that a lot of uh, younger people sort of go not by what the facts are, they don't even dig for them, but it's, it's what I feel, what I think, what I believe. Uh, that seems to me a dangerous uh, basis on which to build a worldview. How do you It's tell... incredibly dangerous. Yeah, but well, how do you confront that when you're on the college campuses? What I have to say first and foremost is what you think is actually happiness is not happiness, right? The, the, the traditional religious view of happiness is doing your duty to God, fulfilling your purpose as a human being. Happiness is not just you feeling good about yourself at a particular time for some unearned reason. That may be a fleeting feeling of decency or you feel good about yourself for a moment. But if you want to build lifelong happiness, you have to live in a couple of ways. First, you have to recognize that reality is reality. That's where facts come in. And second, you have to be grateful. One of the key components to being happy is being grateful for everything that you're given. And never have people been given more at any time in human history than people growing up right now in the United States of America. You've been given pretty much everything. So maybe we ought to examine the foundations of that before we seek to tear them out. Ben, you're not known as a person who's a big Donald Trump fan in, in terms of the politics of Donald Trump or maybe the personality, I think that's fair to say. But his policies seem to certainly be working, and we just got uh, job numbers that show the lowest unemployment rate, the largest number of people employed since 1969. That's pretty significant. What, what is he doing right, and what is he doing wrong? So on policy, he's been significantly more conservative than I thought he would be when he was campaigning in 2016. Obviously, the tax cuts were effective. His cuts to regulation have been effective. The general atmosphere that, that business is free to, to pursue business in the United States, uh, that, that obviously has been very good for the markets. All of that is great. 
the, the second half of the equation, you know, the, what he's done to the body politic, I, I don't blame it all on President Trump. I think that, that this sort of rift in the body politic pre-existed President Trump, which is why he's president, obviously. Uh, but I, I do think that when it comes to the role of the president to educate the American people about things that matter, I just don't think that President Trump is either qualified to do that or sees himself as qualified to do that. But he's not there to sort of shift the generalized opinions of the American people, as, for example, Ronald Reagan tried to do. Trump is more of a doer than a thinker. I think that comes across in both his policy and I think it comes across in his attitude as well. There are about 18 people already announced for candidacy in the Democratic primary. We expect to be maybe seeing another dozen or more. I mean, who knows how many are going to show up. What do you see on the other side of the aisle from the Republicans that gives you any hope, if any, and what gives you great pause? I do think there's a vast gap between the base of the Democratic Party and where the mainstream used to be Democrat voter is. And I think that that's exposing itself. I think that the media are, are just phenomenally focused on the fringiest members of the Democratic Party. But the reality is that there is a, a kickback. You know, Joe Biden's level of support inside the Democratic Party is evidence that there are a lot of people who think the Democratic Party is moving too far, too fast to the left. That's encouraging as much as I dislike Joe Biden as a politician. So I think there is some of that. Uh, honestly, Pete Buttigieg's kind of rise in the Democratic primary is heartening in the sense that he's one of the few people on the Democratic side of the aisle who is not trying to look down his nose at people living in the middle of the country. And again, I disagree with him on nearly everything politically, but you know, when, it, when it's seen as a sign of sanity that he'll say he'll eat it to Chick-fil-A, I think that that's probably, that that at least is a good thing. I hope people will read your book. I think they'll find it uh, enlightening and uh, illuminating for our day. It's a book we need. Ben Shapiro's The Right Side of History, How Reason and Moral Purpose Made the West Great. It's obviously at Amazon, all the major booksellers around the country. And you'll also find Ben Shapiro's writings at dailywire.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Shapiro. Now, Keith is going to tell you how reason and moral purpose makes the rest of our show great. So, Keith, let us know. Well, I would be glad to. Coming up, actress Janine Turner, Hucks hero Katie Taylor, the amazing Kristen Sandu, and much more right here on Huckabee. I'm so very happy to be in Dallas, Texas, as a part of an extraordinary ministry of Samaritan's Purse, Operation Heal Our Patriots. The main thing I love about Samaritan's Purse and Operation Heal Our Patriots is just the follow-up and follow-through. Brings us closer to the people that we were in Alaska with, so we can encourage each other, encourage each other's marriages, help each other along the way. It's kind of like a refresher course. It is a great privilege to have you all here. And I've been looking forward to this weekend. We're going to have a lot of fun. We focus on the marriages of our wounded veterans. We take them up to Alaska for marriage counseling. And of course, we do a little fishing as well and bear viewing. But marriages without Christ is tough. And I want these couples to know how they can have a strong marriage through faith in Jesus Christ, walking with him each and every day. This is our seventh reunion. We've got 500 couples, over 1,000 people that are here at this conference. God didn't let you go through the experiences, not that he authored them, not that he caused them, but God takes the toughest things in our life and he makes something good out of it. Hope is the sure and confident expectation that our future is in God's hands. Trials and tribulations is part of life, but God has a great plan. Brokenness is real. Loneliness is real. Depression is real. Headaches and heartaches and hangups are real. But I'm telling you, God is great. Jesus right. is great. Amen. See, some of you may not believe, some of you may be here for the first time, and some of you may be struggling with this Jesus, but let me tell you, he's the great I am. When you're trying to refresh your marriage and, you know, take on parenting and everything, and you don't have to do it by yourself anymore because you have a great community. Exciting, exciting, especially to see uh, some folks that we was in Alaska with, to see them again, just to see the number of people that have gone through is just overwhelming. There's a lot of great organizations out there that do the one and done thing. But with Operation Heal Our Patriots, it's really nice to have that follow up and something bigger than just a one-time deal. Operation Heal Our Patriots is a special ministry of Samaritan's Purse that all of us can get behind. And I hope that you'll join me and Samaritan's Purse in honoring our country by honoring the people who have kept us free.
It was such a joy to be a part of Operation Heal Our Patriots with the folks at Samaritan's Purse. Let me tell you something, Samaritan's Purse is doing so many things at home and around the world to help people in great need. But after spending time with those veterans and their spouses, I assure you that your prayers and your financial gifts are truly making an incredible difference with those who have served our nation. I hope you'll do yourself a favor. Call Samaritan's Purse, visit their website, give a gift, help them continue the healing and the restoring of lives. I can assure you, you will not regret it. Well, my next guest is an incredible actress, director, and writer. But one of her biggest passions is sharing the importance of our U.S. Constitution. Please welcome my friend, the very talented Ms. Janine Turner. so much. First time here in Nashville and we couldn't be happier because I'm so grateful for what you're doing in terms of helping people around the country, especially students, learn the Constitution. Isn't it frightening though how little the average American really understands about the beauty of our Constitution. Well, they don't. And, and so with at Constitution America, I launched the foundation in 2010 with Kathy Gillespie. And um, I go into schools. I've spoken in over 400 schools, approximately 400 <laughs> schools, whether it's suburbia or inner city, wherever it may be. And one of the things I tell the kids is that I'm here to empower you. I want you to feel, you know, strong. And, and I say to them, can you just go knock on the door of the White House and have a chat with the president, whether it's a Democrat or Republican? Yeah. They're like, no. I'm like, well, that's why the legislative branch is first in the Constitution. So I teach them why the legislators in their area, how that's important in the legislative branch, to vote in the midterms, all these type of things. But recently we're doing something new, which is we're teaching the kids how to have a, get this, civil, civic conversation. Whoa. Now that's something we don't hear very much. No. Civic? <laughs> A civil, civic conversation. Yes. How do we even get people to do that? Well, you know, my daughter had an interesting experience in high school, Juliet, because most kids thought very differently than she did. And there's this one girl who was always rude to her in the hallway. And one day she walked up to her, they thought differently politically. And she said, you know what, we both love our country. Let's sit down and have a chat. Uh -huh. So she got in the car when I picked her up that afternoon. She goes, mom, you know that girl that's really mean to me at school? And I said, yeah. She goes, well, we talked today and we didn't agree on much. But now we're friends, but we only agreed on 5%. <laughs> so we teach the kids, find the 5% yeah. in, in the other person so that we're not just immediately at odds. So we, we actually go in and say, look, we want you to learn how to have a conversation with someone with whom you radically disagree. Why don't we, we teach them two different perspectives? We give them articles, actual articles uh -huh. to read. You know, I'm a performer. So I get up there and have a lot of fun with the kids, and I love to teach them. Yeah. Um, because, and I love the things that they don't really think about. What's a midterm? You know, uh, legislative branches first. Why? Everyone thinks the president's the most important person in the country, and we know that that's not the case. And I think the kids are inspired by the time they leave. I tell them I want them to feel empowered. I kids. think you've uh, brought with you a clip so that we yes. can sort of see what's going on in the school. So if we can take These a look at it. These are some of our winners for our contest. Okay. And we said, hey, talk to us about how to have a civil civic conversation. It's really, these are two of our winners. Let's watch them. I used to have a bad habit of I listened to respond and I didn't listen to understand. So now I try to like step outside of myself and like listen. And of course I go into like the overanalyzing, like what's their background? Like what they do? You know, like I kind of think like, you know, let me try to piece together why they think the way they think because for something that's like logical thinking for me, being from Chicago, you know, on the south side, may not be the same logical thing, logical way of thinking for someone who grew up on a farm. What I've like learned through having a lot of these conversations with my friends and people who disagree with me is just because you think you're 100% right doesn't mean the other person is necessarily 100% wrong. I wonder, Janine, if maybe we could get those kids to uh, anchor the evening news because they got a better perspective of it than a lot of the people that are trying to tell us what's going on. Isn't that the truth? I love what she says is I, I usually listen to respond yeah. instead of listening to understand. And, you know, what is the history of this person's life? And that's what we try to teach the kids. We show this video, which is actually longer, to the kids and say, what did you learn from that? And they love that particular, they love Nicole. 
about, you know, yeah, okay, I do usually just listen to, to respond. And I love what Tova said, too. You know, just because no one's 100% right or sure. 100% wrong. We find the 5%. You've got all these civic projects going, but you're also doing a daily podcast, which I think is terrific, called God on the Go Minute. Yes. So tell me about that. Well, you know, I read the Bible every morning, and it's my coping skill, okay? Yeah. How to, is I fortify myself for the day. Yeah. And, and then I thought, you know what? I'm, I had a radio show for, for four years, yeah. and I thought, why don't I just, you know, you can do it in iPhone now. I'll just take how I'm applying the scripture that I read today and put it in a minute. It kept me longer than a minute because no one has an attention span longer <laughs> yeah. than a minute. Yeah. So I send out this one-minute podcast with a verse, a Bible verse, and then my application of it and how we can get through the day together. How do people sign up to get that? You can sign up for it at JanineTurner.com. Now, one quick thing about the movie project that you've been shooting here in Nashville. I'm so excited because I booked the role of Hilda Hensley, who was, Pat's, or was Patsy Cline's mother. Mm. And it's a Sony Productions for Lifetime Television, Patsy and Loretta. So it's about the friendship between Patsy Cline and Loretta Lynn, and I'm portraying Patsy Cline's mom. So wow. I'm real excited about that. Well, we're going to have you back. We're going to talk about that in great detail because that's an exciting project to hear about. I want you to be sure to sign up for Janine Turner's daily God on the Go Minute podcast. It is the perfect inspiration with your morning cup of coffee. And you just go to JanineTurner.com. Be sure to also visit ConstitutingAmerica.org. That's where you're going to find some really great history and wisdom on our Constitution to enjoy personally or to use it in the classroom. All the details at ConstitutingAmerica.org. All right, Keith, you tell us what is ahead. You got one minute, no more. That's it, one minute. See if you can do it. I could do it in under a minute. Next, meet Huck's hero, Katie Taylor. And then learn how to talk politics without losing your friends. And Kristen Sandu is here to amaze you right here on Huckabee. Well, welcome back. Now, from a pig in the driver's seat to consuming Taco Bell's entire menu for lunch, we've got the news that'll make you run for the border, but legally, on a segment we like to call In Case You Missed It. All right, Dateline Minneapolis, a Minnesota sheriff thought he was gonna pull over one of those dangerous texting drivers but he had no idea what he was about to encounter. Sergeant Jason Foster pulled over a weaving driver only to discover a 250-pound pig in the driver's lap <laughs> and a second pig standing on the seat next to him. Boy, talking about a couple of road hogs. <laughs> and what about the man driving under the influence? This guy obviously had way too much swine to be operating a motor vehicle. Now, the Chicago County Sheriff's Office posted a picture of the trio on their social media page. The Sheriff's Office noted that they've pulled plenty of distracted drivers for cell phones, food, messing with the radio, but this was their very first lap pig incident. <laughs> Sergeant Foster said the driver explained his reason for the pigs on his lap was their move to a new part of Minnesota, and he didn't want them to get cold during the journey. Sounds to me like he was just hamming it up for the police. <laughs> now rumor has it that the two pigs veterinarian was none other than Porcus Welby. <laughs> hey, so what if it's not true? Just go ahead and sue There you go. All right, over in England, there's a new criminal in the town of Bristol, and she's 104 years old. I'm just trying to picture this elderly woman speeding off on her walker with the police in a not-so-hot pursuit. Anne Brokenbrow had never gotten in trouble with the law before. Now, she's not exactly public enemy number one. Ms. Brokenbrow was actually arrested as part of a charity event. Residents of the Stokely Care Home were asked to submit what they wanted most at the home. Brokenbrow said, I'd like to be arrested. <laughs> so I guess the denture fairy granted her wish. Anne Brokenbrow was put in handcuffs by officers and even taken for a ride in their police car. And when asked what it felt like to be arrested, she said, well, it'll make me much more careful of what I say and do. 
at 104. But the police were very nice throughout. Hey, Keith, I gotta be honest, I'm just glad that her wish was not to be a counterfeiter. You know why? I have no idea, but I'm dying to hear. Because counterfeiters never make any real money. Wow. Oh, don't encourage me, please. But you know, really, it, it's better than committing a crime, say, in a parking garage. That would be so wrong on so many levels. Uh. Seriously, though, I mean, any of that's better than the lady who fell in the falafel condiment. I mean, seriously, they said her death was a hummus side. Uh. Mm. Hey, enough of the bad jokes. Let's get back to mine. They're bad enough. Okay, although you did remind me of the thief who fell into wet cement and couldn't get out, he became a hardened criminal. <laughs> ah, let's move on. Well, baseball season is underway and it's time to take me out to the ball game. But let's not bother with those major league, multi-million dollar teams. No, sir, because the real joy of baseball is at the minor league parks across the nation. And it starts with the creative names of the teams. Here's just a few that you're gonna wanna cheer for. The Savannah Sand Nats. You gotta wonder if their hitters are pesky against opposing pisters. And then there's the Amarilla Sod Poodles. That's really the name, the Amarilla Sod Poodles. Okay, Amarilla, I don't wanna hear any cheers with the word soiled in them. What about the Binghamton Rumble Ponies? Binghamton is the historic home of carousels, but these ponies refuse to get on the stick and they prefer to carry a big stick at the plate. How's that one, huh? Maybe my favorite from deep down south, the Montgomery Biscuits. I mean, I just hear the fans cheering, hey, butter, butter, hey, butter, butter, swing. Finally, the Fighting Dems, that could be a team. They all hit from the left side of the plate and they believe that everyone deserves extra bases. How about that one? And this story, Brian Shaw, four-time world's strongest man winner, was looking for a new challenge, so the six-foot-eight-inch, 415-pound athlete decided he would take on Taco Bell by eating their entire menu. Talking about having to run for the border. <laughs> <laughs> but Shaw must have felt his idea was a excellent one. We'll scratch that out later. In his YouTube video, he reveals ordering nearly everything on the menu passing on the vegetarian options, and ending up with 40 items and a $120.03 bill for all that he was gonna eat. I'll bet he was thinking, yeah, I'm into fitness. Fitting this whole taco in my mouth is what I'm gonna do. <laughs> Shaw does high speed his video of the 25,000 calorie eating challenge. Wow. But he does take multiple breaks and he proclaims it to be the worst eating challenge he ever participated in. <laughs> Obviously, things did not go according to the flan that he had. <laughs> Unfortunately, Brian Shaw failed to crest his Taco Bell Mount Everest, eventually declaring, I want to get this out. I'm sweating because I'm almost ready to throw up. Wow, I wonder if he even got Vertaco. <laughs> I realize that pun was pretty corny, so I think we're just gonna move on, okay? All right, a couple of shout-outs before we go. Uh, Shout-out to my friends at the City of David Foundation in Jerusalem that you saw featured on our show just a few weeks ago. They recently unearthed some more proof from the Bible under a former parking lot, and the discovery was a 2,600-year-old clay stamp marked as belonging to Nathan, Melech, servant of the king. The only other place that name is recorded in the Bible, 2 Kings 23:11. It is one of the most significant archeological finds ever. Ongoing archeological excavations of the city of David continue to prove that ancient Jerusalem is no longer just a matter of faith, it's a matter of fact. Well, <clears throat> here's a shout out for the big response to the movie Unplanned. It's the true story of Abby Johnson that opened in theaters last weekend to rave reviews and much better than expected ticket sales. It'll open in 700 more theaters this week, so a better chance you even have an opportunity to see it. I've seen this movie. I highly recommend that you do. If you haven't formed an opinion about abortion, or if you have, please see Unplanned at your local theater.
And finally, a little shout out to this lady, because shoplifting is an ancient art. But I got to tell you how impressed I was when the Walmart employee made her show what was under her clothes. Not one, but two full-size car batteries. <laughs> yeah, that was a shock. Um, can you imagine what she may have already taken from Walmart in the past? Clothing, a frozen turkey, maybe a couch. I'm telling you, this gal's got Olympic skills in shoplifting. Let's just hope they never make that an official event. Well, like a chef without spices, we've run out of thyme and paprika. But never forget that we read the news. Well, people living in poverty often don't have the luxury of artistic expression. But tonight's Huck's Hero has made it her mission to reach out to those communities and help students ignite their God-given passion to create so they can find life beyond their circumstances. What do people do if they have a calling on their life but they can't reach it? I thought, what would happen if I just took a couple of cameras and a couple of laptops to Kaimundi and taught some kids how to make short films? I think they've got some of the best stories to tell. Film was just a thing like for people who grew up in the suburbs and stuff like that. Once the camera was rolling, all of a sudden, they were given permission to speak. Let's go! In this community, you're not allowed to talk about yourself. I held everything inside me. So with film, I learned to talk about myself. For me, personally, it made me feel that I am worth more than what I think I am. We are doing a film school Africa. We are breaking a lot of barriers. They are being exposed to different classes, different race groups, and different cultures. I want to pursue my dream as a filmmaker. I want to be a filmmaker one day. Everyone is an artist in a way, so why not find inspiration from home? I think filmmaking is a really powerful tool. Not only for people to see their world, but also for them to be able to appreciate what is unique about themselves and their community. It's a very diverse country, and we get the opportunity to bring that diversity together. Film School Afro began a little over 10 years ago, and it continues to help those in poverty find their creative and artistic voice. Would you please welcome our Hux hero and founder of Film School Africa, Katie Taylor. Katie, thank you for joining thank us. You. We're so thrilled to talk about this project. Thank you. And it's easy to, uh, to see why you are a Hux hero tonight. <laughs> but Film School Africa is quite unique yeah. How did the idea ever surface to start something like this? You know, it's interesting. I went on a two-week mission trip with my church. Yeah. And about six months later, I felt like I got a vision from God for a short film. And at the time, I was working in Hollywood. I was an associate casting director, which basically means I put actors into movies. Uh, and let me pause because yeah. I want our audience to hear about this. Sure. Casting director, I mean, you go out and decide who gets to be in Spider-Man and movies like yeah. that. And that was one of the movies that you helped cast? Yeah, yeah. I worked for really incredible directors, really incredible casting directors, some of the best in the world. Um, just incredible. You go on this mission trip, and you get this idea. I'm going to do something that has nothing to do with Hollywood. Yeah. How'd that come about? Uh, went back and shot the film uh, that I had the inspiration for, divine inspiration, I believe, and... When I went back, I had this young man approach me. I'm, I'm standing in a township of about 40,000 people who live in a square mile, so we're talking intense poverty. And he came up to me and said, I'm a filmmaker, but I don't have the skills and I don't have the tools. I just know that I'm a filmmaker. Wow. And from there, it just kind of, I started to wrestle with God. I started to uh, wrestle with this idea of what would happen if I took a couple cameras and a couple laptops and started working in a community like Kayamundi, where I was in South Africa. And, 
had lots of questions about what good uh, it would, you know, first world filmmaking would do in a place that's absolutely poverty stricken. And, you know, over, over time I went and spent six months there living in the township of Kaimandi. And God really revealed in that time that it was art therapy. It wasn't just job creation. And they began to heal from trauma uh, as a result. Mm. So after that, I was sold. And from there, we've created two community schools and even a college-level program where we have students live on campus, food, housing, training for two to three years. But people out there who support and give, they make it possible mm. for students to, to be impacted. And I mean, we, I recently had a young man who was sitting in an interview and he said, I was an alcoholic, but because of Film School Africa, I became a Christian. I, had, I now have a relationship with Jesus and, and he got the job. What's the future for uh, Film School Africa? What do, you, what do you see happening out there? Yeah, well, we'd love to be able to expand our campus. We've got 10 students on the college campus, and we'd love to be able to have everyone come in, but we simply can't afford to have everyone who wants to be there be there. And so we would love to have more and more students. We'd love to expand in that way. And we continue to have now two community programs, and those community programs really can be replicated throughout the continent of Africa. So, and are you spending most of your time there? Yes, I live there now. I'm so glad that you're doing it and that they're sharing it with us. What an honor to have you, you here. If you'd like to stay updated on Katie's mission in the Film School Africa documentary, visit filmschoolafrica.org. That's filmschoolafrica.org. You might be one of those people that would like to write a great big check and help Katie out. I think she'd be thrilled to hear from you. Keith? Coming up, learn how to listen to your friends with opposing political views. Then Kristen Sandu's dramatic That Balancing End. And the Music City Connection performs Amazing Grace. You don't want to miss that. So stay tuned. It seems like every political discussion these days degenerates into a shouting match. But my next guests show that there is a better way. And they do it on their podcast and in their new book called, I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening. It's a guide to grace-filled political conversations. Please and very politely welcome <laughs> friends and co-authors, Beth Silvers and Sarah Stewart-Holland. Great to have you both here. Thank you, Beth, thank Sarah. Thank you for having me. So, my understanding is, Beth, you lean a little to the right, and Sarah, you lean a little to the left. So what a perfect opportunity to ask you both. When families get together and politics run the spectrum, how do you keep that whole Thanksgiving dinner from degenerating into a shouting match and throwing turkey legs? What we advise people to do in our book is to think about these discussions more as a way to learn about yourself than to convince other people. And if you start with that kind of open heart, I just want to hear everybody out so I better understand myself and my values, it's a very different kind of discussion. Sarah, you know, in many ways you're political opposites, but you're close friends, you work together. How does that all happen and when did it start? We weren't that close. We had not seen each other in 13 years when we started the podcast. Interesting. And talking politics, even from opposite ends of the spectrum, it made us grow closer. What are some uh, suggestions you would give for people who can keep their friendships alive like you guys have been able to do? In the first half of our book, we really talk about becoming aware of your own context. Because sometimes we don't even know why we believe what we believe. Yeah. We've always been this or that. The party says this or that. This leader that we like is here. So we try to really dig deep and say, what's going on with you? And that exercise helps you realize, oh, that's going on with everybody. You call your podcast Pantsuit Politics. Where does that come from? <laughs> does that mean only women can listen? No, absolutely not. I started the name because I thought I was going to start a podcast about women in politics, and I wanted to signal through the name, also I just really like alliteration, Yeah. that it was about that. But when we decided to do the two of us, we kept the name because we really wanted to bring a female-centered voice to the political space because that's also not something you hear a lot. The two of you are able to have honest discussions. You truly disagree with each other. Are, are there ever times when you 
find yourself this close to firing off and you're saying, nah, that's not a good thing. That would be me, not Beth. <laughs> <laughs> I run a little hot. We've all been on both sides. When you're, somebody's trying to convince you, you get defensive, the other person leans in, you lean out. So if you just sit down with curiosity, I just want to understand my position and their position better. It just takes the heat down a little bit. What you just mentioned, Sarah, I think is important. It's not a debate, it's a conversation. The goal is not to win or lose, it's to understand. That's what I like to do is to have a conversation with someone to say, not what do you believe, I get that, tell me why. Mm -hmm. Explain to me why. And that kind of goes back to what you said, Beth, context. Yes. And the why for us has really gotten deeper as we've practiced these conversations. Mm. That's the other thing. So now we don't know how to do conflict anymore. We don't know how to disagree with someone and have it just be this healthy conversation that we both walk away from feeling enriched by it. So you have to practice. And that's, I think, the key for all of us to bring the heat down. Because when you can connect over those shared values, then you can find little small spaces of agreement. We both want what's best for our kids. Now, we might not always agree how to get there, mm. but we do want what's best for our kids. Okay, let's just start there. Everybody loves their kids. Everybody wants what's best for them. If that's even the first place we have to start, that's where we have to start. But let's just find one space that we can move forward from. And I'm really grateful, and I hope people will follow your podcast. They need to get your book, especially families that are all wrung out over their own political conflicts and see the advice that you give. Thank you both for being here and sharing that story with us. Thank you Thank so you. much for having so us. Much for having us. The book is called I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening. And boy, do we ever need its message and advice right now. That book is available at Amazon and other major booksellers. So it's there on your screen. Get a copy of it. Might be very helpful. And listen to Sarah and Beth's podcast online at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Dot com. Well, it's time to see if Keith has got a pantsuit on, and he also can tell us what's next. Hopefully, he doesn't get it wrong. Keith, take it away. Hang on to your seat. Next, Kristen Sandu brings his daredevil balancing act to the stage. Then, the Music City Connection performs Amazing Grace. Welcome back to our show. Our next guest is an incredible balancing acrobat. If you didn't see him on America's Got Talent as a top finalist or perhaps at a major live event, you are about to see his unbelievable skills right now. Would you please welcome to our stage Mr. Kristen Sandu.
Ladies and gentlemen, Christian Sandu, would you please hear it for him? Oh. <laughs> it hurt my knees just watching you get up there. I'm telling you. When did you start this stuff? 12, when I was about 12. 12. Yeah, my mom was a doctor. My dad was a circus performer. Oh, he was the circus he performer. He was a circus guy, yeah. He's responsible for all this. 12 years old, you start doing this stuff. Yeah. Was it scary when you first started? Absolutely, yes. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of falls. I, I am just amazed. You, you were on America's Got Talent. You yes. went really right up to the very edge. Something happened at America's Got Talent. What happened? Something that didn't happen here tonight. You fell. I fell, yeah. And that was the end of that, huh? Yeah, America's Got Talent was challenging. I had a pit of fire around me. I went much higher than I did today, and uh, it didn't go the, the way. You don't have a single safety net or padding, nothing up here. If you fall, it's going to hurt, Kristen. I mean, you know. Yeah, but that's the whole fun about it. Once again, Kristen Sandu. All right, Keith, tell our audience how to see more of this guy and his incredible an exciting act. What happens if he's in Los Angeles and an earthquake hits, is what I want. <laughs> well, anyway, you can visit KristenSandu.com to find out more about Kristen and his spectacular talents. Or to invite him to perform at your major event, just go to KristenSandu.com. Celebrate amazing grace with us when we return in just 60 seconds. Now performing a very special rendition of the beautiful song, Amazing Grace. Please welcome Trey Corley and the Music City Connection featuring T.J. Harris. Whoa. 